What's up, everyone? Thanks for tuning in. Asian Bitches Done Under, a podcast about sharing information and perspectives from the Asian diasporas in society and culture. We encourage you to subscribe to our show via Apple, Google, or Spotify. If you have enjoyed our episodes, please support us by giving us a five star rating and get your friends on board to listen to us. Finally, we would love you to support this podcast by donating to our Buy Me a Coffee program. Your wonderful support and donations will help us to continue creating the platform for diversity and inclusivity. Make sure you check out the episode show notes for any collaborations we're working with to promote. Thanks again, and we hope you will enjoy today's episode. Hey y'all, this is Jessie. Hi, this is Helen. And we are Asian Bitches Down Under.、Um, coming back to, after a short hiatus.、Um, I turned a year older in the last 10 days. Thank you. Yes, happy yeah, birthday so, last week、um, for Jessie.、Yeah. Really, like, I feel like the older I get, the less、um, important birthdays are for me. Yeah, I feel that too.、I'm、maybe like, it's yeah, because,、whatever. like, yeah, yeah, maybe it's because, like, you know. People say, like, the older you get, the more. After 30, you don't celebrate because it's, like, it's a little bit embarrassing.、Um, I don't know if it's that much. Like, you know, obviously it could be that. I don't know. You know, if I get some therapy, that might also come out.、Mm. But mostly it's because, like,、um, <laughs> I am not someone who marks occasions. Like, I don't really. I'm not someone who likes to mark. Like, I'm not big on anniversaries or shit like that. Like, it's just a date, yeah, you know? Same. Yeah, I'm not a ceremonial not person. Not those just, ceremonial like, sort、yeah. of stuff. Like personal.、Oh, I, I yeah, like、right. big celebrations. Yeah, I, I like, like New、them. Year's or I like moon festivals. There's even、yeah. family gatherings. But I think personal wise, I'm not really into personal celebrations as in birthdays yeah, or Valentine's Day. Yeah, it's just so. I find it so uncomfortable and self aggrandizing. Like,、um, I just. I was t- yeah, <laughs>、so、I was just t e l l i n g my mother. Every year、mm. I've realized this since I was like a young adult. Every year, what I want to do on my birthday is just go away by myself. Just like at least spend a few hours by myself. Yeah, Honestly, like I just want to shrink and hide.、Yeah. That's what I often want to do. Like, I, the, 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 my、mm-hmm. hell for me on my birthday is if I have to host a party or if I have to be around a lot of people. Honestly, I just. Oh, yeah, I, hate, I don't like, like that. And I guess、yeah. you, could, you can interpret this as a insecurity factor, but I just like, I don't, I don't like to. Feel like I have to、okay. be around people to make them happy, or like I'd, I feel like if I host a party, I'm always like in the back of my mind, I'm always like, are they、yeah. having a good time? Are they having a good time? Like that, that sort of niggling effect. Like, why are they here? Like, what are they yeah, supposed well, to be? Yeah, I, no, I, I don't mind being celebrated, but it's just like、um, for me, like、uh, it feels more meaningful if I'm celebrating like some, some kind of achievement, you know, like. Just passing another、mm. year, yeah,、Rather、the age, the age. kind of doesn't、uh-huh. feel meaningful to me at all, you know? It doesn't like,、um, I see. and I, I never I had、see. a big 21st or 30th or like, it just. Neither yeah, of us before, did. Like, like, maybe think, it's just、yeah. part of our family, like, it just wasn't a thing for us. Like,、uh-huh. we had birthday cakes and, and you know,、um, and we were always watching the TV in the background. <laughs> Like every single birthday. It's <laughs> so funny、picture. for our listeners who doesn't know. Like when we have our birthdays when we were younger, our parents would get a cake and we'll sit around after the dinner time. We、yeah. just celebrate. We、yeah. have the TV <laughs> on. And dad insists on taking、yeah. the family photos. Like everyone stares、yeah. at the TV. And also the cakes are always from、um, Savoy, you know, that Chinese bakery. 
and like the flavors would be yeah or other yeah, like Chinese bakery like top bread top um, yeah. sponge cake with uh, it's always cream, like chestnut yeah. or taro Fruit. or some Asian flavor um, never the mud cake yeah no mud cake's white man yeah we never had a white yeah. we, we we're not white but, but I mean ironically now um you know um. You know, last week um, my partner asked me what's my favorite cake, and I was like, Choc- mud cake. My favorite uh, cake is mud cake. Okay. So I am. Uh-huh. I've turned white. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm just like I. I don't want any. Like I feel very uncomfortable with attention. I hate attention. Like on my birthday, I just want no mm. attention. I just want to be by myself and not be seen. Like I, 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 I as long as I'm like I know I'm loved by those who love me, and like I have my family. And like the closest friends yeah, and that's it. Like I, I don't feel comfortable. Yeah, yeah I understand. Um, kind of putting on this face, like, oh yeah, let's have a party. It's my birthday. I'm like, Ugh. so. I don't think we are ever. No, we're like not that. like that anyway. I yeah. mean, personally, like I guess because of that kind of characteristics, I don't really like to celebrate my kids' right. birthday. Like I don't like holding parties right. for them yeah. as well. I mean, a good thing with COVID is that yeah, my kids. I don't think my kids. Had ever had a big birthday party like outside of a family yeah. circle, or maybe only once. My my son he had a uh, birthday party at the laser oh, tag. Okay, like the final year of his primary right. school. Because I thought that oh I'll never held a party. Right, party. right. Yeah. <laughs> I ask him and he goes oh yeah I'll just invite like four or five close friends. It's I don't know. <sighs> yeah. I, I think really I mean into a you know hearing us talk about it now Helen all. I just think I, I feel like we're not unusual I feel like mm. there are a lot of people out there like bookish people like you and me whose worst nightmare is a part like I, I just hate parties I hate being around a lot of people I don't my idea evening is just like watching a mm. movie or like sitting down on the couch with a good book like you know we're such introverts <laughs> Because we're really socially, yeah. so it's really socially awkward. Like the I older too. I get, oh I feel like God, I'm Helen. really socially. I've actually thought awkward. about this recently. I mean, I love I love going to social events. Yeah, I don't mind social events, but I, I do find sometimes that um, it's hard to uh, establish a small talk with people that yeah, you're not yeah. familiar with. What? Yeah, I mean, I went to the social event last weekend, no, last Friday with my daughter at the climbing yeah, centre. People are really climber. nice. Yeah, everyone are really nice, but I just found it hard to sit there and talk to people. Yeah, I no, I get why. you, man. I mean, whenever I'm in a crowd of people, I just want to be a fly on the wall. Like, I don't want to exist. I just mm-hmm. want to, like, listen to people and then, mm. like, um, silently judge them, you know, in my head <laughs> and then go home and write about it. <laughs> But, like, I don't even want to engage with anyone. Like, I just... Oh, okay. I feel, this is... I think... Because um, also, I realised, Helen, like, I remember all through my 20s, mm. and also when I, as a teenager, people would say, oh, Jesse, when you grow up, you should be a journalist because you, you're so good at asking people questions. Mm-hmm. And, like, really, at the end of the day, it was just my way of deflecting attention. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. um, yeah, th- genuinely, I'm interested in people, yes. But, like, um, I just don't want to talk about myself. Like, I'm, mm. I, like, the, the sickest, ickiest feeling I get is when people ask me about me and I have to fucking talk about I myself. See. Like, unless it's on a, like, some sort of world public stage and I'm being paid for it, unless I just I don't want to talk work. about myself. <laughs> work, yeah, I don't want to, like, I'm so boring. There's nothing. No, you're not. Like, why, you're not boring. No, no, like, I hate, I hate most of all when people are like, how's your book going? Uh, or, like, what are you working uh-huh. on? I'm just like... 
I'm just like, I, you don't want to hear it because there's nothing there. Like, I have nothing mm. to say about, like, about what I'm working yeah. on. Conversely, my, my favourite kind of conversations, the ones I have with, like, my favourite people, i.e. <laughs> Billy Stevenson, um, is, like, if we just talk about films, yeah. you know, if we talk about films or concepts or some phenomena mm-hmm. going on, then that's, you know, like, uh, last uh, two weekends ago, uh, I went with um, Billy and his husband, Kyle, to the Cheese Festival. It was a mould <laughs> yes. festival in Cadgeworks. And, like, we spent a lot of that afternoon just, like, going through our favourite 90s mm-hmm. sitcoms. You know, like that. that that's yeah. really nice. And then we talked about why we loved it. You know, like, I like talking about ideas or, or, like, artwork. I don't like talking about, like, oh, what's been happening in your life or, like... You know, how's work or sh- yeah. boring You prefer like to that. have a conversation so- that actually um, derives, Explores derives ideas. some ideas or the further ex- discussions rather than just like open-ended, you know, sort of questions. Yeah, I'm not interested in people's jobs or like if or what they've done. Like if yeah. they're, oh yeah, like if you're running a 10K, if you're training for a mm-hmm. 10K marathon or whatever, it's like, <laughs> I'm tuning out, man. I'm tuning out. Um, or like any kid conversations about children, I, I <laughs> but you ask really. kids, or you ask my about my kids all the time. But what specifically? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's because I love you. Ask kids. about what they think of things. I think that's a good question. Yeah. like you, your interest oh, yeah. about what they what they mind are at. That's that's good. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, that's the only thing <laughs> I'm interested in. In how is in how a person feels or intellectually processes um, an artwork or a phenomenon, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I guess, like, in saying all that, um, uh, you know, going back to the birthday thing, I thought what would make me happiest is, you know, going to my favourite restaurant. So we went to my favourite restaurant on my birthday, which was Kindred in Darlington. And then we went to see uh, Jordan Peele's latest movie. Uh-huh, nope. Yes. Tell us so, about like, it. that is, like, uh-huh. my favourite kind of evening just movie good food, and yeah. good food uh, yeah it was uh, it was really strange so I'm <laughs> sure for those people no, his, have, his works are always strange well yeah like um, the first two Us and Get Out were conceptually and narratively more plot driven mm-hmm. this one is a bit weird I have to say um, at the end of the movie um, we noticed that everyone turned to their partners or family and was like what was that about like everyone was confused yeah You're confused yeah. it's kind of uh-huh. like it's a sci-fi bordering on horror, but not really horror, thriller slash, like, um, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just a movie about, like, filmmaking. It's a movie about movie making, about Hollywood, okay. about racism in Hollywood, about UFOs. Like, there's a big component of UFOs in there. Um, but the storyline is, okay. like, very, I guess, like, very, it's kind of, it sounds straightforward. So the lead character, who's also... The you know lead character in Get Out, Daniel Kaluuya, is um he at the beginning of the movie. This is no spoiler. His dad dies under very mm-hmm. suspicious circumstances. Like some alien force drops, like weird things out of the sky. His dad died, and so he assumes the family business, which is Hay- Hollywood Haywood, Haywood's Hollywood horses, which is like basically they train horses, um that feature in Hollywood films. Um, so it's kind of like western as well. Mm-hmm. Like um the 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 movie kind of is a, a conglomeration of a yes, lot of different okay. uh, genres uh-huh. and comments on a lot of different genres. But, like, um, I feel like I feel like because it was so um, 
trying to do so much. Mm-hmm. At the end of the movie, I didn't actually know what it was trying to say. I was very confused. So it's hard to interpret the oh, so message I can't wait behind it. Yeah, I can't wait okay. for you to watch it because I have you read any you reviews think. or critics. Uh-huh. Yeah, we did. So we spent um, the following day reading reviews <laughs> to each other. Okay. Um, which is yeah. what I like because I like smarter people telling me, um, you know, people who have spent yeah, years analyzing studying the, the art films. of film. Yeah, yeah analyzing. Yeah, I, I want to uh-huh. read about what they think about it. And they were all, like, all of the reviews were also kind of equally confounded. You know, like, <laughs> I, I hard yeah. to it's so what's strange. everyone thinking. It's really strange. Yeah. And, and what the thing for the listeners who have seen it, the thing that really confounded me was that there were kind of two parallel storylines. And mm-hmm. like I, one from the past, and one okay. in the fu- in the present, yeah, and the present, like yeah. I didn't really understand um, how the two related to each other. Are they based on the same group of people, or are they not? No, no not really. Oh, They're okay. like ad- kind of adjacent. So like um, Stephen Yuen uh, plays a cowboy boy who's like it used to be a superstar on TV, and so he's the guy from Minari. Remember that yes, film that yes. we loved? Uh-huh. Yeah. So he um. He was like this child superstar, and the the subplot, the one that takes place in the past, involves him going through this like very, and we see it, you know, depicted on screen, very graphic trauma, of us um, a TV show he was on where like a, a chimpanzee who was featured in the sitcom he was starring in um, goes on a violent spree and yeah and starts killing people Jeez. and he's he somehow survives, uh-huh. um, and then he grows up and present day he has this um sort of ranch sort of slash wonderland mm-hmm. like um, Disney World where he creates oh, okay. uh, he's like he start, he stars in his own kind of rodeo wonderland Disneyland kind of uh-huh. uh, playground basically yes. like public public playground that that storyline like during the film we have flashbacks of that scene of like the monkey going crazy on the set of that on that mm-hmm. show and like it never really is resolved like I didn't really understand how that was related to the UFOs that Daniel Kuluwa's character starts seeing appearing on his on his yeah. ranch. Um, this sounds a bit difficult to read. Yeah, I, and like I guess no, I haven't read any reviews that have really, really interpreted um, processed. Yeah, uh-huh. interpreted uh-huh. that that or like made me help me understand why what what Jordan Peele was trying to do. Mm. I guess like if I really was interested, Helen, I would just like there are so many interviews out there of Jordan Peele talking about this movie. He will be just, yeah, you would just I could just listen and, to it. Yeah. yeah, like podcasts and videos on YouTube. But uh but yeah, I guess I've had like a million things on, so I haven't done that. But um yeah, so nope, highly recommend, obviously, because it's Jordan Peele. Um your turn, Helen, before I talk okay. about my next viewing. <laughs> okay, so last week I've came across with this document uh, documentary on SBS on, on demand. It's called Ascensions. Uh, mm-hmm. It's directed by Jessica Kinden. Uh, she's a Chinese American director. Um, it was just popped up randomly on my Facebook feed again. Stupid algorithm. Um, but somehow it just intrigued me because it's very rare to see a visual pre- representation of China from a foreigner's perspective. And in this case, the uh, the document doc- the documentary is also rather new. Um, it's not like twenty or thirty year old. It's very recent documentary about China, and we two thousand and one, right? Sorry, two thousand and one. Is two? I think it was released in two thousand and one. Yeah, so it's is it two thousand and one? I thought it was a bit later. It's like two thousand and ten or something. Oh, um, yeah. sorry, I meant twenty twenty one. That's what I meant. Sorry. Yeah, twenty twenty one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. twenty twenty one. So, year, so it's, it's very very new. So um, 
We all know that since pandemic or even before this pandemic, we know what happened with Hong Kong, news about Xinjiang. China has tightened its grip on what the foreign media can or cannot report. So um, basically, the documentary has no direct dialogue、uh, between the production crew and the people that was captured in the documentary. The ones that you might hear, you know, it's very.、Um, Compared to the ones that you might see in the conventional documentaries, like、mm. interview styles, but this one,、um, the camera follows different types of labor jobs in China.、Uh, it began with、mm-hmm. uh, an open area, almost like a market, with a recruiter shouting through a megaphone、mm-hmm. about job positions,、uh, indicating the wages, the conditions, the requirements for the job, and then you see groups of men who are herded onto the bus、mm. and to the.、Um, Factories or the dormitories where they will be staying.、Mm. Um, then you see different factory workers working on repetitive tasks like mass productions of consumer goods,、um, sewing buttons,、yeah. printing fabrics, and attaching parts of plastic bottles. Very very repetitive work, and you see them. I think that the camera、yeah. um, purposely juxtaposed that kind of repetitive task with what the workers doing on the side. You can see yeah, them yeah. watching like TV dramas on their tiny little、um, smartphones beside on their workstation, and there's just something very、mm. satirical, like very, very like ironic、mm. about it、yes. as well. Because I sent you like、um, screenshots of what I was watching, and there was one part yes, where they、toys. were. I was I just、yeah. assumed that they were making mannequins, and then it turns out they were sex toys. <laughs> Six, yeah, it was just so funny, and、um, there's also a scene of a massive sewing machine、mm. that was、uh, embroidering "Make American Great Again" signs. Yeah, so I thought I found that that was really fascinating, and by contrast of the、um, factory workers,、mm. the director captures、um, the fast-rising groups of Chinese people who gain wealth overnight, the ultra-rich lifestyles. Um, where a lot of people who are following the westernized din- dining etiquette,、um, and also it, re- it is reflected through、yeah. the demand of butlers in Taiwan.、Uh, wow. I was going to say to t- Taiwan. Sorry,、uh, the demand of、uh, butlers in China、oh、and、wow. the institutions training people to become butlers for the ultra rich. Yeah, to, to me, it's just very hard to. Understand that sort of、um, economy,、mm. and a lot of bizarre things that I saw for me were very hard to comprehend. Yeah, there were etiquette、yeah. schools who were teaching women how they should compose themselves at work, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how much they should smile, like how they should hug their acquaintances. Like、mm. um, they were told that they shouldn't refuse a hug for from someone. Like I, I can't really understand that.、Um, I don't know whether or not it's because they believe the Westernized way of a social interaction is superior, or the idea of civilization has been allocated as equal to like、um, it's supposed to be a Westernized interaction. I mean, I'm not denying that parts of Asia has been looked down upon because the so-called uncivilized behaviors. Because we've seen people saying that oh, in China, people were still、yeah. spitting or. Urinating in the public, but I do wonder、yeah. if this is really what needed for the Chinese.、Mm. It's almost like micromanaging everyone, yeah, and it doesn't really seem authentic for me. Like、um, 
perhaps this is what's really happening in China. Um, so those things are really perplexed me. Um, there's also a, a yeah. scene that I found a little bit comical as well. There's a part that um, you see there's signs of slogans everywhere, like "Be a civilized mm-hmm. citizen," "Cross the road safely," or um, "We value family, work, and our leader." And there are cameras literally everywhere. Um, there's a part uh, where there's a ginormous uh, CCTV mm. on on the side of a crossing, and the TV plays out the cam- of what the camera shot directly mm. at the um, pedestrian crossing, and they um, capture the people who cross yeah, the right. road at the red lights, and, right, but they right. block out their face. <laughs> Beside the TV sign, it says. Um, be a civilized uh, citizen. Uh, be a civilized Chinese citizen. Cross the road safely. It's almost like they're Shame. trying to yeah. publicly shaming. Yeah, I just don't understand why they do that in in China. But I guess there's a lot of things well, that I don't understand. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. I'm looking at reviews of Ascension online, and um, uh, a lot of the mm. it's Oscar nominated. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. It feels yes. like um, mm-hmm. it's quite a. It feels like um, a very startling docker. It's like very confronting. Um, that will make you change the way you see your own life. I guess like, and and I feel like if I watched it, I would mm. just feel like man, there's um, that this this world this country which you and I you know we're blood related to folks in that country you know our grandfather is Chinese mm-hmm. yes. um, like so much of it um, is still beyond our understanding um, and and like hidden exactly. to the west yeah hidden from the west sorry I should say mm-hmm. yeah. so um, this yes. this movie yes. this doco sounds like um, it's very it, interesting it's very yeah. stylized um, aesthetically it's done very well I think camera work was really good as well but it, yeah, it shows yeah. um on very different uh, different ends of the spectrum of China like yeah, you, know, you yeah. have the blue collar labor and you have you see the ultra rich people yeah yeah so there's a quote from an interview by an interview with Vogue from the director Jennifer Kingdon um, she doesn't speak Mandarin herself mm. but um, she says um, instead of concentrating so much on what people were saying I was able to focus on the visual aspect and the energy of the mm. conversations later um, she says unsurprisingly the workers came off as the most sympathetic and interesting people in the footage and the rich people tended to be the most stiff or dry or hollow ones and um, mm. the the uh, the reviewer says that the film manages to surface moments of dignity and genuine emotion from a dehumanizing system. Yeah, that's very true. It's like you you really see the individuals. You hear you hear snippets of um, the workers, their conversations yeah, about yeah, right. how they are being treated or how they feel about um, the. institutionalized um, system in China but you can hear that the subtleties that they're trying to express themselves but at the same time Mm. they can't really express their true feeling there was a Mm. there was a conversation I found quite I don't know if it's endearing or something like that yeah Um, there was two there were two women like our parents like our mom's age who were factory workers Mm. Um, one woman said that Oh, you you have to treat 
um, our supervisors on our payday, you have to buy lunch for him, or otherwise you're not going to get the next shift. Mm. You know, um, but the other woman saying that I can't even look after myself to buy enough food, you know, for my family with my pay. Why do I have to? Why do I need to bribe our supervisors? Mm. Yeah. So there's a a lot of contradictive kind of things that for us will be really hard to understand. Uh, a lot of unspoken rules, I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we're so, I mean, here in the West and middle class America, middle class Australia, mm. any any developed countries, we're so detached from any kind of labour um, intensive professions, I suppose. Mm. Um, yeah. So, like, it sounds like an incredibly important film to watch. And when you started talking about it, it reminded me of... Jeffrey Regi- Reggio's um, Koya Starsky. I don't know how to say it. But but it's like the seminal documentaries where it's just like this movie, essentially, like no talking heads, just kind of visuals of humans around the world going and doing, you know, visuals like people in the place. city going to yes. work, um, monks in Tibet chanting. Um, and, ca- and those films are accompanied by Philip Glass's hypnotic mm. and mesmerising you know, uh, minimalist soundtrack. Yeah, uh, I can't wait to watch it, Helen. Great, great recommendation. Well, so I I guess from that very uh, high-class recommendation to probably a less <laughs> high-class recommendation, I've got two things I want to mention on Netflix. Um, Never Have I Ever, season three, dropped, and uh, I binged the whole thing in two nights. It's just mm-hmm. like the best series ever. Okay. Um, yeah. I don't know what to say about it other than it's um, it, it doesn't let up. Like, usually, like, I find the early murders in the building had also um, finished the second seasons this week, and I found it very disappointing. Like, I didn't like the second season yeah, compared to the first. The storyline's frayed. It's just very fragmented, um, a lot of things, like, I think. It just yeah, it's to, like so many things yeah, were not resolved. Pieces going like, everywhere. So, it's like, not we really... Would, yeah, we would go into people's minds, and then, like, um, fleetingly, we would mm-hmm. depart. I, didn't like, I don't like the you second know? Like, season. I, I, I thought... Yeah. Yeah, the writing was just mm-hmm. not as tight. But never have I ever. It just gets better and better. It, oh, really? really it, it's just so okay. good. It never lets up. Like it's it's so earnest and em- and emotionally driven. And you start like I'm always rooting for um, Davy uh, so much. She's mm-hmm. just great. Um, and the other Netflix series that I would recommend is da- Darren Star's uh, new latest uh, show. Uncoupled, starring uh-huh. Patrick Neil Harris. I yeah. believe I might have mentioned it in the past. Yeah, you mentioned but I finished, it that you start watching the right. Yeah. yeah, and I finished the first season. Okay, so that was good. Um, you know, it's not it's good, it's not as good as um, younger for sure, but um, but still, you know, about New York. So mm-hmm. I can't help but love it. And then my final recommendation was a movie I we had not seen but we watched last night and it uh-huh. like tore me we, like I sobbed so bad it was um Disney's Coco I can't believe you haven't seen it um, I thought that we had like a one family gathering at our brother's place oh I must have been but were you not there yeah I must have been okay. yeah I wasn't there but I'm glad I wasn't there otherwise I would have sobbed in front of the whole family which would have been so embarrassing <laughs> it's okay because we had one of our friends um I won't mention it on the show yeah he was there and he sobbed oh never seen him like that before oh my so gosh. it was kind of a surprise and a shock for me that is yeah. so sweet that's really yeah. sweet yeah it is like i don't think i've ever um like you know you get teary like for instance last week we watched um two uh, a documentary and a uh, film about the same incident mm-hmm. the rescue the documentary about the thailand 
cave Thailand. rescues, and then yeah, Thirteen yeah, yeah. Lives, which is the dramatization starring Viggo Mortensen oh, and okay. um, Colin Farrell, and they're both like it's a wonderful film. It's a wonderful documentary, and in both in both films, um, I cried, as in like when you oh. cry, you shed tears, you know. But Coco. Yeah. You're like it's like a funeral. It's happening. like waterfall. It's like a funeral. You're like a fu- you're like at a funeral when you watch the end of Coco. Oh my god! It was it was like excruciating how upsetting it was. Like it's just I just I just I don't know how they do it. I really don't know how Disney movies do it. It's incredible. Yeah, they've it's got brilliant so writers incredible. to really like um, really spears through your mm. heart i think yeah exactly yeah. it's exactly um and they draw the the grandma coco um so well like her the lines on her face yeah uh-huh it's incredible she looks so real yes yeah yeah i guess it's because it, it really resonates with every, I think so. everyone's i think grandma. so i think so yeah you know? and everyone has like well most people most people will have a great connection or a bond yeah and a lot of people i think have also got a personal experience or ties with dementia you know people with alzheimer's Mm. so it's very very um yes it was so upsetting close to home upsetting yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. okay (laughs) all right and with that let's take a break and when we come back we're going to talk about all things dating dating apps dating trends shitty things in dating state of (laughs) Yeah, the state of dating and the new kind of strange, the strange influx Mm. of uh, uh, articles about dating in very high profile uh, publications in the US that I've Mm -hmm. observed that have been inspired by Helen's single article which she read in Psychology Today. When we come back, we're going to talk about the rise of lonely single men. Okay, so we're back. Um, so this week we want to talk about something. Yeah, it's so less. Much. I don't know if it's intellectual, serious. but we just. I actually said that less serious. It's a little bit yeah. trashy. We want to talk about dating. Um, I came uh, uh, across this. Actually, I started mm. about a week ago. I saw a screenshot of this article appear on at least three groups I follow. And the captions below the screenshot are almost identical. So it was a caption of the Psychology Today US um, t- with an article titled The Rise of Lonely In cells, basically. And all the caption. <laughs> and all the, all the captions were like, oh, yeah, LOL, no shit, or haha about time. Yeah. Or um, a caption says, um, so men finally beginning to see that they are the ones who needed to address their own problems. Nice. So yeah. the three uh, key points from these articles are, uh, firstly, dating opportunities for heterosexual men are diminishing as relationship stand- status rise. The second one is that men represent approximately 62% of dating apps app users, lowering their chances for matches. And finally... The article addresses that men need to address skewed deficits to meet healthier relationship expectations. Mm. So let's go through the article with a more like intersectional perspective. Um, the three broad trends uh, in the relationship landscape summarize as indicated that heterosexual men are in a rough road ahead are one, the dating apps. Men are the like the of course they're the higher users compared to women, 
I, I don't know why. Is it because that they feel the they they think that it is more easier to approach someone rather than face to face? Like they they prefer a digital interaction. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I I I I don't I don't know. Maybe they're just um more single. <laughs> no, no. I, well, I feel like um. I I know I know for a fact mm-hmm. that um the amount of time men are single is like um between between partners mm-hmm. is like much uh shorter than women. Oh, like okay. men jump into relationships much quicker than w- women. Really? Um, okay. I think it's because like um men actually um like often for men um their girlfriends or their intimate partners are their only source of um emotional uh, connection. Ah. It's the only person they talk to emotionally yes. um, whereas so they like, have women, a higher I, desire I have, to find a partner immediately well because like saying? they don't they don't have like they the, because men in this patriarchal world are not allowed to have deep connections like and deep with loving relationships with their male friends, friends. Ah, yeah exactly and whereas women like um I, I i can think of like i'm not kidding i can think of eight women i could like absolutely pour mm-hmm. my heart out to and it'll be completely normal yeah because they mm-hmm. they also are like emotionally open so like mm-hmm. women are allowed to be like that whereas men they're only allowed to be like that with their romantic partners so oh, i feel like men that's true yeah, you know I dive think. into relationships much faster because like otherwise they'll die if they're not allowed <laughs> to express themselves somehow yeah you know? that's a certain um like a stereotypical of how the society expectation isn't it for patriarchal yeah, society sad. of course yeah. yeah it's very sad and the next one is that the relationship standards. In the article, it says that women are increasingly selective, which that I, I don't agree at all. It is so fucked. I believe w- most women would just want equality in relationship. It's not being selective. It's more like women are actually having a platform to address what they deserve to have our say in the relationship. Um, women have the right to voice what we want. Uh we prefer men who are emotionally available, communication-wise, and also share the similar value, rather than being there to just support the men. Do you do you understand what I'm saying? As in, like what you said. Yeah, of course. Again, we're not slaves. Yeah, we're not slaves. We're, we're there. We're there who wants to have the equal part. It's just not like women shouldn't be the one that solely takes upon um, the emotional garbage from the men. I guess. Yeah, it totally. Like and I guess it goes ways. without saying. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it goes without saying that this article that Helen's referring to was written by a white man. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and there's a lot of um, like feminist platformers come out and say that this is just so rubbish. You know, it's what woman has been saying for decades, and now a man written it. Uh, it seems like oh, so a man written about these issues. Does that mean that like the heterosexual men will actually believe that this is a problem? You mean like it needed this this you do you do you are you saying like this issue needed to be vocalized by a white by, man for yeah, other white men to, me to actually to actually legitimize taken it, it. yeah can, yeah exactly right. yeah that's why I think yeah no that totally yeah. makes sense a lot of uh, I, I that's why you know a lot of racial issues or like you know um, books about feminism like I'm not gonna go write a book I'm not gonna read a book about feminism written by a guy. You know, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to yeah. read a book about intersectionality written by a white person, mm. or like about race about a white person. You know, 
Well, so finally, the last the last aspect that the writers was addressing was about the skewed defici- the skewed deficiency. Um, for example, he talked he talked about that uh, emotional connections. It is also concerns for the overall society how to see how heterosexual men are perceived. Um, there's a very stereotypical uh, perceptions about heterosexual men that they are over aggressive representations of toxic masculinity. Of course, they don't help, and also you know the hyper masculine images of tough men. They don't talk about emotions or stigmatization of men who express their feelings. Is considered weak. Um, these are the issues that heterosexual males themselves need to address. I don't think that women should be the saviors to do that for you. I mean, when I'm saying this, it is also ironical that, um, yeah, it's just that the, this article appears in a lot of feminist um, pages or group. It's, uh, I just feel exhausted. Like, we're ta- even now we're talking about it, but do the hex- heterosexual men, when they go into have a drink on a Friday afternoon with their pals. Do they talk about these kind of issues? Like, oh, why aren't we getting dates? Or oh, because we're sitting here, sitting here and really not talking about our feelings. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think I'm, what I'm hearing, what I'm sensing from you, Helen, is like this irritation at, at the... I, I feel as though mm. the source of your irritation is perhaps the fact of this article being like a... It victimizes white men. It victimizes mm. straight, single white hetero men. Is that what you're saying? Like it feels like it's like um, saying there's a problem there when actual in reality, I, I if I had a choice, probably you know many t- days I wake up, I wish I was a mm. straight white man because like um, you this have world so was much made privilege, you guys. Yeah. You know, yeah. So like um, this, I'm sensing that the source of your frustration is. The tone of this and the existence of this, even just the pure existence of this article mm. existing, kind of insinuating that um, it's no longer great to be. Um, it's very. It's now very hard to be a straight white guy. Oh, is it? Is that, I, I don't really think so. I don't think so. I think it's more like like my. Yeah. I interpret this article as the problems has always been there. The issues has always been there. As in. Um, the stories I heard from my friends about their male partners, um, the ones who are in heterosexual relationships, like when they kind of indicate that, oh, um, men never really talked about their emotions, but at the same time, we have to put up, as women, we have to put up a lot of shit. And even in dating scenarios, that um, it does seem that it's never been a really equal playing field. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But now that men are finding it harder for women to accept their behaviors, and now they're huh. right. complaining, you right. know, they're that complaining. Oh, oh, why can't I get a woman? It's because oh, women are becoming more selective. No, you know, fuck that. Women are not be- becoming more selective. It's that because you're not improving yourself. Yeah. So that's from my point of view. Well, I guess maybe. Yeah. Are you are you saying that men expect? Men are decrying the fact that they should be feminists. Uh, Is that what you mean? I have to think about that. Yeah. What do you mean by decrying? Is in like are they complaining that um, being a feminist is now a requisite to being in a relationship? They that and, they, <sighs> and that they don't like that. Is that what you mean? I don't know. I don't know. I can't say for all men, of course, but I can tell you that there are men out there 
from from what I know that they're not um, they're starting to be concerned that women are speaking up like from my own social circle yeah but that feels like a completely different issue to this article oh yeah of course yeah but I'm just relating to yeah I mean dating and also in the relationship is definitely different yeah well, Helen's article um, got me thinking about recent um, autumn, you know, um, listening experiences. So, mm-hmm. for, like, I literally talk about this all the time. Autumn, A-U-D-M, is an app that uh, reads out um, articles from The New Yorker, New York Magazine, The Boston Globe, um, The Atlantic, you know, all the best long-form journalism Essays. from yeah. North America um, and also some from the UK uh uh, by professional actors, uh, professional vo- vocalists and actors, um, and uh, the one I want to talk about first is uh, the one uh, on in the New Yorker by Emily Witt. So Emily Witt is a white female um, writer who a few years ago wrote the book Future Sex, um, and it was about the future mm-hmm. of sex and how people were gonna, you know, um, people's relationship with sex and finding sex in the future. Um, and this one, this article uh, published in July this year, was really about her experience with Field, mm-hmm. and um, it's it's so it's F it's spelled F E E L D so Feel mm-hmm. and with a D. So I initially thought I actually in, came across this app Helen um, f- f- through a friend of mine, a very dear friend of mine who was on it, who is on it, and um, she told me she you know showed me what it was all about, and basically it's an app. Um, where like people can you you're very you can you get to be very upfront about your sexual desires oh, okay. and what you're looking for. So like on on the on the app there are literally like eighty eight different um gender choices, wow. I think. Don't quote me, I'm just making that figure <laughs> up. And like a hundred thousand like just like endless number of um sexual proclivity uh sexual desires. desires. So like thrapo, foot fetish um, polyamory, um, ethical non-monogamy, um, like, yeah, it's just like, there are literally thousands of different Uh choices. And, um, so Emily starts off this article about talking about how during the pandemic she had broken up, uh, she had a relationship that had ended, um, Mm -hmm. suddenly and she was 39 and she was scared, um, that she wouldn't be reproducing the kind of heteronormative nuclear family she had grown up in. Um, and so um, this article is pretty long. I so know, it's, it's very minutes, long. 37 minutes long. She, it's really good, although she, um, it's really good. It goes into detail about her experience with Field. Um, the technology describes itself for, is uh, marketed as for open-minded singles and couples who want to explore their sexuality. Mm-hmm. So it's really a sex app more than a dating mm. app. Like, And at the end of the article, she kind of like, if I could just find the end of the article, maybe... I'll be able to like deduce what I'm trying to deduce. Is a summary of it? Um, Is it? Well, kind of. I just feel like um, at the end of the article, she kind of insinuates that it's not, it's not the app you want if you want to end up coupled with someone. It's the app you go on if you mm-hmm. just want to have sex. But does that? I'm pretty sure that Phil has like, from what you describe, if any yeah. sane person should understand. Um. I'm not saying that sex would not lead to long-term relationship because mm. sometimes it will for some people. Yeah. But most people would recognize it's just an app for to fuck. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. 
rather than a long term relationship. Yeah, I'm not saying again. Of course, I'm not saying that it wouldn't lead to a long term relationship. But if it's a casual fling, well, yeah, well, um, well, what Emily Emily Witt says basically in the in the in the app is that um, she kind of details all the different sexual encounters she has with the people um, she meets on field. And mm-hmm. she has this one line in the um, in the article where she says she has fallen in love in the last two years since downloading the app, but it was never with people she met on field. So when I read that, I was like, well, you know, if I yeah. was looking for love, yeah. this wouldn't be something you would go I for. Yeah. Turn to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it felt it felt like an article that um, was sort of like a paid sponsor content. Like it felt like she was kind oh, of um, okay. She was kind of um, promoting promoting uh-huh. yeah the the app because you know she talks about it in very very warm positive mm-hmm. light um and then also i guess this leads me to the second article which i'll talk about after mm-hmm. the break but you know i, I read emily's uh, article and then a few days later um alison p davis wrote an article about tinder on mm-hmm. the cut and this was a very similar article um where like she talks about tinder and her, her kind of different her journey tinder. through yeah different tinder people. and yeah. like i was just like what, what are like dating apps suddenly paying high profile long-form journalists to write about them yeah, is it because like that isn't yeah, it like, tinder is turning 10 this year mm-hmm. um so yeah. like it must be I, I it can't just be um these things are not coincidental that's all i mean <laughs> You know, these are very strategic marketing strategies. Wow. And, and I'd love to talk that about... That's you point at that Yeah, out. and I'd love yeah. to talk about Alison's article after the break. But, like, I guess just to tie up this end of the episode, um, it's just, yeah, it's very interesting. I guess um, I'm, like, I, I don't know if I would say this is a feminist um, kind of industry or, like, a genre because I, I am yet to read an article from a respected long-form mm-hmm. journalist in America who r- has written about his experiences on Grindr or Tinder. It seems to be like, I just, I didn't expect the New Yorker or the New York m- magazine mm-hmm. to write, um, to allow their writers to write deeply about things like hooking up or like their sexual uh, encounters. It feels like a very kind of um, private thing. Like, uh, you know, when I think about The New Yorker, I think mm-hmm. about, you know, um, very searing and deep and serious commentary on, the, you know, Russia, Ukraine, about Trump, about politics, you know, about theatre. But for, for to, to read something about date, uh, dating apps mm-hmm. and, you know, their, their, their experience on dating apps, just for me it felt a bit like, oh, um, I didn't that know that that space was allowed. a bit more like a gossip Type mainstream log, maybe tabloid sort of magazine oh i don't know genre. i just i'm just yeah um it's just interesting i mean the cut often publishes stuff in that milieu mm-hmm. so that's like expected but i had never expected the new yorker to write it you know allow one of its writers to write about you know a sex app could it be because their readership's demographic You're getting younger yeah, not yeah, so much getting maybe. younger because i'm seeing the trend of People who like divorce like, after forty or something like that, they will be the ones who are getting back into the dating market. Dating, right? Yeah, right, so yeah. they will be interested in that sort of yeah, yeah, topic, you're right. I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. So that could be the reason. But I mean, but but it's very excuse me, it's very well done. Mm. Um, it just like the when I read it, 
um, it made me not want to be on it. <laughs> and it mm-hmm. kind of, and I know this is such a snarky, um, such a snarky, unsympathetic comment to make as someone who is not single at the moment. Mm. But it made me not want to be single when I read um, Alison and um, Emily's take mm-hmm. on being on dating apps. It's just like it made me just feel like, oh, it's so exhausting to try and find some sort of like deep connection with uh-huh. someone these days. Yeah, it's so hard. I think it's becoming so complicated in the dating world oh, now. So complicated. Like you had yeah. to consider so much things and oh, it's, it's, it's really exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> I can't to think of it, yeah. yeah. So when we come back, uh, I'm going to talk about uh, Alison's uh, article, My Tinder Decade. Uh, We'll be right back. We often talk about wanting to read a wider variety of books and stories and watch diverse art productions, theatres or films. But where do we get them? How do we get them? Most mainstream media platforms and bookstores are flooded with products that are created by and for the white majority of Australia. As an Asian growing up in Australia, the only source for me to access anything that remotely resonated with my life was Chatswood Library, where they stock some Asian writers' works. Yeah, shout out to Chatswood Library. (laughs) However, most of these books are in Asian languages, which benefited the first generation of immigrants who could still read Chinese or the Asian languages and were learning on English. What about books for second or subsequent generations of immigrants like Helen? Well, not like Helen. Helen can read English, <laughs> Chinese, but like me. Or even the First Nations people who want to read stories about them in English. Reading across broader cultural perspectives represents diversity as a natural phenomenon. Normalizing racially representative stories shares knowledge that breaks down the mentality of an us-slash-land binary and exposes the norms of the dominant culture as a constructed rather than universal nature. The publishing industry of the West has long been dominated by white men who, and you know, just look at the books that we have prescribed in the school syllabus. We were told to read books written by white men and were instilled with the idea that white men's opinions are important and righteous. Mm. The 2019 Diversity Baseline Survey estimates that the industry in in Australia is 76% overall white and 82% white in editorial departments. And with author Roxane Gay's 2011 examination of book reviews in the New York Times, a traditional platform found 88% of the review books to be white authored. How does this impact our world as women of colour in the West? Mm, It means that women of colour go through more roadblocks when entering publishing when we want to share our stories. And the dynamic power dynamic of the industry exhibits the idea that minority voices do not matter or minority voices like value in the publishing industry, which obviously we believe and we know, in a fact, is not true. So we have Amplified Bookstore, which is an initiative by Amazing Marina and Shane, who took upon themselves and are dedicated to promote books by Black, Indigenous and people of colour writers. Every month, the team at Amplified Bookstore curates a list of brilliant books that will expand readers' horizons and offer opportunities to deepen your insights of alternative perspectives. When we say representation matters, it does not stop at the point where a BIPOC writer starts to share their story on paper. The representation needs to expand to all areas of publishing, including editors, marketing, sales, 
and so on. Amplified Bookstore is here to advocate the importance of the retail store that is giving the voice and the platform that ensues that these writers are being seen rather than being placed at the bottom of the shelf by the major bookstores. What Amplified Bookstore is doing is to encourage and create a space for non-white authors to write as themselves. Publishers, book buyers and readers need to be more inclusive. Insider authors are much more likely to feature well-rounded protagonists from their same culture. This allows representative stories that enable white people to read about POC without disregarding them as other. Mm, precisely. And, excitingly, thanks to Amplify Bookstore, this month they're giving away an Oceana box to our listeners. The box will contain three books chosen by Marina and Swan. So the books will be BIPOC writers of Australia and New Zealand. To enter, please follow our Instagram page, like the giveaway post and share the post or tag your friends. The winner will be drawn on the 2nd of September. That's right guys, so you still have a few weeks to get your entries in. So follow them, like them, stay tuned for further updates. It's a very, very exciting three set of books. I myself cannot wait to get my hands onto them. Get on board, guys, and um, hop onto Instagram and get your to uh, get your entries in to uh, win this amazing collection of books. Good luck, everyone. Good luck. So we're back, um, and Alison P. Davies is a black writer, black female writer, and in her article, My Tinder Decade, she starts off the article by saying, I first downloaded Tinder in the spring of 2013, seven months after it launched. I'd heard about it as a concept, grinder for straights, but felt exempt from needing it until one evening at the tail end of a drawn-out breakup with someone I told myself I would marry. So she starts off the article very much very much the way that Emily did in um, her article, like talking about a breakup. Mm-hmm. And they feel the need women... to hook up with someone. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> well, well, like all these women, um, the, the, sort of, um, the sort of launching off pad or the premise of their journey into these dating apps was like an unexpected breakup. Yeah, so uh, I think automatically it makes you, it pulls me in as like, um, it, because like um, or any of us could be mm-hmm. like that, you know, like we don't know as women. And also, I guess as a guy, you know, it doesn't matter you who you are. You could be dumped for yeah, any could, reason, nobody any day. Knows, exactly. Nobody knows when your partner yeah. will leave you. Like who, mm-hmm. uh, many people are left unexpectedly for no reason, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's like a very strong hook to get in people. And then for the next like several mm. paragraphs, Alison talks about the way in which like um, she approached Tinder in the beginning and how Tinder has changed throughout the years. Uh, later, she says Tinder turns ten in September, mm-hmm. and I'm still ag- gaining and gaining with other people. So again, she you know insinuating that you know, she's always trying to like she hasn't settled down, trying to find mm-hmm. yeah yeah like there's this perpetual sort of trajectory that she's gone through in the last ten years where, like, um, she's deleted and reinstalled Tinder. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is a very common thing. I, I remember doing that okay. as, a, as, a, as a when I was in my 20s, like, feeling like some days, um, like, months in my life when I was single, I would, like, to um, install, like, um, ins- install it. Is that what you download it? Um, I'll download the app. 
Yeah, download it. Oh, yes, do it. Yeah, I downloaded the app and then like find people and then like delete it when I felt shit about myself. And yeah, it was like, um, it was like I found this more interesting only because I, I guess I have my own experience of Tinder. Whereas like Field Emily's article, I had never experienced Field, and um, so like it felt like a different milieu. Um, later, Allison says mm. um, there. Are, so she addresses the reader. She says there are factors that may make my time on the apps different from yours. I'm 36, black, a woman, a resident of one of the Tinder's most densest dating markets, New York, and I mostly date men. At this age, I feel too old and frankly a little embarrassed to still be using Tinder. And then, you know, later she talks about the different things that she came across, like the terrible dates that she had on Tinder. Like there was this mm-hmm. one part at the, towards the end of the article, Helen, where she talks about like meeting someone who like recently in the last year um, who she thought, okay, this is the guy, this is the one. Okay. And then several months into their dating, um, it, it's revealed that he was married with children. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. and then like... It's just I think like, that happens regardless if you oh, use a dating app or not. I know, totally. It will happen in any scenarios, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, and then and then she talks about like how um there there there's this term she said called labels men, you'll do guy like um you'll do as in like guys who just kind of she's not really attracted to but they'll they'll just like feed her <laughs> appetite for sex, uh-huh, uh-huh. um yeah and then uh, towards the end it was just like it made me just think oh like I'm so glad I'm not on Tinder at the moment like again that very unsympathetic snarky comment from someone who's not single but. Like, um, I'm sure, like, a lot of women um, will find this very comforting to read, just, like, um, the history of Tinder, but also the personal memoir, that personal mm-hmm. memoir, and the personal aspects of Alison's experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I, I'm kind of... Sh- obviously, I wrote... I also wrote a book about sex, although nothing to do with my own sex life, mm-hmm. right? But, like, I'm kind of left speechless by how candid women these days are now about their actual dating uh, sexual uh, um, encounters mm-hmm. like I'll just give you a really brief example so I'm um, in like my favorite right one of my favorite writers is Olivia Lang and um, she in her latest book everybody where she like talks about the body the way in which the body has been persecuted um, in hi- throughout history and the way that body can be a, a body's collective can be a way to achieve freedom mm-hmm. and to fight for civil you know for civil rights for gay liberation movements and feminism the book basically charts a lot of like historical figures mm-hmm. um and like so a lot of it is just like very very history narrative so she like talks about historical figures but then like throughout the book she'll have like these dots moments like pockets that just kind of like flowers that spring like occasional flowers that spring out in a bush full of like shrubs right where like she talks about a very fine intimate detail in her life like for instance there's this part in the book where she talks about going to the Tate to see Agnes Martin uh, see an Agnes Martin retrospective and Agnes Martin is a figure she talks uh, extensively about in the book and um and she says oh um I, I went to this uh, exhibit one rainy Friday, um and two days ago I had just had sex with an old lover and then later she talks about the sex like oh it was really passionate sex and I was like whoa this is like so um private con- yeah it's so yeah, you don't want, like, it's something that I'm you like, don't want to do know. I want to know that you had sex yeah. and that 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 had changed the way you engaged with Agnes Martin's painting you know I'm like. It was like, wow, it's just so jolting. Sometimes mm-hmm. um, 
I'm not some like I I like to think of myself as like obviously pro transparency. You know, I mm-hmm. don't like to I'm I'm not someone who wouldn't be happy to talk about absolutely anything. Mm-hmm. But like I um I I was shocked by my prudishness sometimes mm. like lately like even like Emily and Alison in their articles they write very explicitly about their sexual encounters and I'm like wow how are these people so like maybe I've done this in the past with some articles I've written where I've like talked about my sexual encounters but like <laughs> I, I don't think I'd be confident I don't think I'd be comfortable doing that now it just feels like too oh, private, really you know okay. yeah is that because uh, you're you're settled with someone? Obviously, you don't want to write about it. So maybe you know your partner maybe. reads it, and it makes a bit more embarrassing for you. Yeah, like well, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't write about my own or talk about my own sexual <laughs> behaviors out to public um, because you know I am with someone. Like I've got mm. my husband. Yeah. But if these women, they are not. Um, settle with anyone at the moment they can talk about their past experience yeah, and it's also like a liberation i guess you know it's yeah. it's more acceptable for society now for women to talk about sex rather than in the past that uh, it is a taboo for most women to talk about sex because you're considered as a slut you know or it's it's not it's just wasn't really socially appropriate yeah, Before, no, I totally understand you. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, uh, by the way, I'm not saying that I don't like this trend of mm. women just talking about, no way, like, I- I'm all for it's it. It's perfectly fine, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're, like, totally for it. But I'm just, like, startled by my own <laughs> um, my own sudden prudishness. Mm. And it was a, really just shocking, like, especially with Olivia's um, book. It was, just came out of nowhere. And, like, she has, like, all her books historically, they've had elements of, like, her personal stories weaved into it. Like in The Lonely City, one of my favourite books, she writes about being lonely. Mm-hmm. But I don't think she ever actually explicitly says, I had sex with someone here and this is how it was. Like that f- feels very like, it, w- it just felt very jarring in in her latest book I because see. it was so like heavily based on historical figures and like it's all it was about um, political movements and actual living human like historical figures like... Mm-hmm. Um, Wilhelm Reich and Freud. She talks a lot about Freud and Malcolm X and Nina Simone and um, Christopher Isherwood, like so many people, and Sue Sontag. Um, and then suddenly, like, oh, um, I had sex with someone. It's <laughs> like, I wonder if wow. it's, I wonder if it's an aspect that makes her work sells. Oh, absolutely. Totally. I'm not people saying that it is a bad thing. No, but no. people. I think it's a human nature for. Not saying that everyone, but majority of people who wants to read about sex, it's almost like a what's the word? Like um, I can't. I, I've lost that word in my mind. It's mean? like peeping tom, like oh right, voyeuristic. Voyeurism, yeah, voyeuristic yeah. into people's very private oh, it's life. Catnip. Absolutely, yeah. And I, I like and yeah, it just it's, hooks it's so people into it. Totally, and, we yeah. we want to know about people's lives, and I have to say, I mean, I love that myself personally. Like um. You know, Olivia has said this in the past about her book, The Lonely City. She 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 knows the power of like, I guess the attraction for us to all read something that we can relate to. So it's mm-hmm. like she she her she said in a previous interview that she didn't she doesn't really like enjoy she doesn't enjoy writing memoir. But and yet mm. the the memoiristic aspects of The Lonely City is exactly what drew me to that book. 
Mm-hmm. Like I, I could yeah. totally relate to her and like her journey through the torture and the suffering of loneliness that she endured in New York was exactly mine. And that's why I yeah. loved the book at that moment when I read it because I was like, oh, I feel seen. Like someone mm-hmm. also experienced this pain. Yeah. I guess the transparency of that privateness that people enjoy to read, apart from like you feel... Like, you can see other people's lives, but at the same time, like what you said, that you can feel relate to it. You'll feel like, oh, I'm not the only one that who experienced this kind of feeling. Like, I'm not alone. Like, it's almost like a collect. Perhaps it's a, like a collective healing or something like that, I guess. Mm-hmm. But what I found interesting in the, uh, the cut piece, mm. I think there's a part that where she said, um, how does dating app shape the way that we see our relationships now mm, i think there's a part mm. where she talks about is the dating app shaping the way that we decide what we do how it kind of frame the social expectations of into dating or are we or we've been led by what people are doing with dating apps because tinder obviously um I know there are people that end up together with Tinder, but from what I've read so far, I'm only halfway through. It is almost like the, the New Yorker's piece. It's almost about that you hook up and you have sex. Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't. I, I don't know whether or not the people who use Tinder. I mean, I, I'm, I'm so, such a boomer. I never used dating apps before. So like, well, that's because you got married. Like, yeah, I got married dating really, apps yeah. were, were, were invented. So I do, I do wonder that do people use dating apps for the sake of to really seek for long-term um, relationship. I'm, I'm sure that people are. But, or do they but do by the, what, the, what I've read what so far, yeah, but what I've read so far, it seems like it's, a, it's almost like you just hook up with someone because it's the easiest way to hook up with someone. The, the computer algorithms already calculate your desire and other, pe- yeah. other person's desire and you match it up immediately. You know what I'm saying? So is it... I think it's both, obviously. Yeah. Mm. There's, there's always going to be both because everyone on the planet is going through a different journey on, on mm. you know, than someone next to them. Yeah. So it will always be both. There, I don't think there will, there will ever be one or the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There will always be people who only seek it for, you know, temporary pleasure and others who are finding a long-term partners. But then it does make you wonder, like... Um, I don't know. It sounds bad if I say something like this. Like, I do want the people out there who are single now. Do you still want to find the one to settle down with you? Or are you okay to just have temporary casual relationships, like, for for your immediate desire? Apart from sex, I mean, I guess companionship as well. And a lot of people don't see that marriage is the ultimate goal now. So yeah, no everyone. Point. Yeah, not everyone feel, wants. Obviously, absolutely, yeah. I agree. I agree with you. Yeah, not everyone. It's like it's a very heteronormative mentality to assume mm-hmm. that everyone wants to only have like one partner for the rest of their lives. Mm. Like different lifestyles are now becoming more of a norm. Yes, and I think a lot of these dating apps are feeding into that desire and that appetite. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, and um, it it feels. Like, for me, it feels very um, frightening because it's just, like, I don't understand oh, really? any of okay. that world because I'm very uh-huh. vanilla in my taste. Like, I just want to <laughs> settle down with one person, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't 
I, I don't ever, like, I don't see myself ever desiring anything more than one partner. When we, when we're, if we're just talking mm. about romantic, um, romantic setups, I guess, like, I, I'm only interested in, like, a very stable, like, monogamous relationship. So I'm, like, I'm, like, very, very vanilla and boring when it comes to that. Um, so the that, that world, that other world of poly- polyamory and... Oh, you know, I admire those, those people that they have the efforts and energy to I, deal yeah, with multiple know. relationships. I, I, I used to say that too. I used to say <laughs> I admire polyamorous people. I admire people in, um, you know, ethical non-monogamy and, you know, all that. Now, I'm not saying I don't admire them anymore, but now I, I'm re- more reluctant to say that. <laughs> but also, Helen, I, I love that you. this conversation has absolutely just, like, completely sparked this um, reminder for me. And mm-hmm. it reminds me of... Um, so Helen very kindly and generously gave me a beautiful birthday gift, um, which was... Um, wait, let me just... Look. Sayaka Maruta's Thank you. book. <laughs> Sayaka Maruta's latest book, which is a collection of short stories, and it's called... Um, life ceremony or living ceremony life ceremony yeah but the the most famous short story um is um a clean marriage which i read um on my birthday while i was at uh the swimming pool by myself my favorite thing in the world to do um and you know the clean a clean marriage um really touches into aspects of what you and i are talking about because like in that short story phenomenally written and conceptually built um a story about you know a sexless marriage in Japan where mm-hmm. um, it was completely it is completely normal um, in this um, made up world by the author where like um, two people they are trying to create a family um, but they don't want to have sex with each other because they're like because they, they both believe that a family unit is like um, complete is completely sexless so it's just like living with a brother or a sister and like um, raising yeah. kids that way. And, and they have sexual partners outside of the marriage, but they always end up coming back to the family. And, you know, um, and, and like when I read that, I was just like, my mind was like, like, yeah, actually, that's, yeah. that could be like a, that could be. That's very fine, much you know? a potential yeah. for a lot of people. I know, yeah. Like you have, but then it, it does make you question the. The definition of marriage again. People have yeah. different definitions oh, of absolutely. marriage, absolutely. and um, I think I, I'm not trying. I'm not quite sure what she's trying to convey. But I read that short story. I think a couple of years ago, and I was mind blown mm. by the way that she wrote about that um, the story. But at the same time, I can understand that it does happen in the world for people to have. A marriage they have a marriage for outsiders to see they have they they have a marriage because their parents want them to or they have a they got married because they they feel like their age is what the society expect them to do but um clearly they're not they're not in love with each other sexually yeah or sexually of yeah. course yeah and but the most bizarre, I, I urge everyone to go and read it, but the most bizarre part was where they're trying to conceive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like was a little a, bit comical yeah, as well. It's in a, like an artificial insemination yes. IVF kind of clinic. Uh-huh. And um, yeah. and the the guy is like being jacked off by this like worm-like machine. machine. And then yeah. that machine has a tube tied, connected and tied into the woman's vagina. Mm-hmm. And so, like, he yeah. jacks off that a machine delivers his sperm into her, like, directly, directly. real-time yeah. into her vagina. 
Yeah, and yeah. then like uh, my favorite line in the book was like when the nurse asks her, "What kind of music would you like?" <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's it's sensational. And uh, Helen, I forgot. I wanted to tell you also that that night, um, my partner and I were walking towards Dendi Newtown, and we stopped by. And we, you know, Dendi Newtown is next to like Better Red Than Dead, the one of the best yeah. bookshops uh-huh. in the world, and um, the the book was on the in the window like as like oh, a feature it? like in the uh-huh. middle of the window and i took uh, and I, you know i carry a book everywhere with me and i took my yeah. copy out um and then like i <laughs> uh, got i posed in front of it in the window and got an- uh-huh. my partner to take a picture and then yeah. right at that moment the store person was closing up and she came out uh-huh. and she uh-huh. saw me and she was like was isn't that an amazing book like she and she just like wanted to talk about it and she's like have you read it all what's your favorite and like she was like mm-hmm. have you read the titular oh that's story? so yeah, nice yeah she's so nice and uh, we were just I like i love that yeah. when you just met someone a person. That, exactly uh, yeah a total stranger yeah and then that you read just, the same thing yeah, yeah, yeah and you that, talk that's about magic yeah. that's pure magic I, I love that yeah. and she was like you have to read a life ceremony it's so messed up mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah that was a beautiful way to end my birthday but also yeah um i thought that that anecdote just yeah really tied in well with what we've been talking about you know, yeah like what is defined by what's defined as a romantic relationship or sexual relationship now it's just so varied yeah, yeah exactly you know, and the the society expectation of you know basically patriarchal demand for women to settle down what's what what is really behind that? You know, is it like we all know that marriage is pretty much in the past sense it's a um it's a manipulation for women <laughs> to produce um the next generation to produce kids. But now, you know, women have have no choices now. You don't necessarily have to do that. And I think it shows through this apps that you have more options yeah yeah and i guess like um just to draw this episode to a close um it is what is that term the philosophical um sort of problem of um the the greatest problem now that we have in in our generations is choice like the anarchy Mm. of freedom what's what's the what's the saying where you have too much choice and then you can't decide and then you get depressed there's a there's an actual oh, yeah. quote for uh-huh. that a saying yeah yeah, yeah I and I think that. um yeah. I think yeah that kind of is what is um frightening for me personally about dating apps is just the fact of so the endless choices the infinite amount of choices frightening not in a bad mm-hmm. way like um I am all for like give me eight million um thirty five billion different genders or sexualities like the more the better mm-hmm. you know um it just like um I guess. I'm, I'm talking about two different things. Um, when it comes to choosing a partner, like, you will never find a perfect partner, you know, and mm. to, to believe that someone perfect out there is um, delusional. And I yes. guess I just w- would warn people against believing that there is a delusional fantasy Mr. Right out there, you know? Mm. No, there's um, no Mr. Right. Yeah. I hate it when people start saying that, oh... Have you found your Mr. Ryle? Or, Miss, you know, or the one? There's still that. The, the there's one. still a really big. Yeah, yeah, I roll my eyes. Yeah, the yeah. one. There is no the one. Um, the one is you. You exist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Only the one if is your you dog. Care the enough. Dog. <laughs> yeah, it's my dog. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back at Patty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're the one, Patty. Yeah. 
Yeah, speaking of finding partners, there was another really interesting article that I saw um, about how Western women nowadays,、um, oh, because、yes. of Netflix,、yes. that they are heading to South Korea in search of love. Yes. Yeah, so it's quite interesting that it is a、uh, CNN、um, article、uh, by the reporter. Jake Kwon.、Um, so essentially, the article reports how the Western woman,、um, i.e., majority whites, falling for the epic promotion of Korean men through the K dramas. Like、uh, in the past decades, there's Crash Landing on You, Goblin. I haven't watched any of those.、Um, so the K dramas、um, pretty much portray the Korean man as charismatic, muscular, and full of tenderness.、Mm. Uh, according to the researcher. Of Korea's gender and race politics from the Indiana University, Blue Bloomington, and、uh, there's a Professor Lee or Miss Lee doesn't have a title here. I don't know why. She says that most Western women are fascinated with Korean men who are portrayed on TV as being in touch with their emotions and willing to embrace imp- embrace their effeminate sides. I, I don't understand why. Is it like a? It's still like TV and what we see on. Oh yeah, on the movie does affect a、oh, lot. Oh, so much. Your choices, doesn't it?、Like、yeah, and your we desires. Yeah, up, totally. Yeah, we were pretty much whitewashed. Yeah, I'd I think. Say, yeah, and and this phenomena, like you talk about, like、um, it has so much to do with just the rise of cultural impact that South Korea has in the last、yes. five to ten years, right?、Uh-huh. Um, and you know, it's not it's nothing new. Like I feel like,、um, mm-hmm. you know, after under the Tuscan sun, I'm sure. Hundreds of women went to Italy. Fallen for Italy, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah or like、um, there's a specific image that you know. Yeah, Hollywood creates a, a culture creates. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it draws people in. Like um,、uh-huh. and like actually, um, Lord of the Rings. Like I cannot believe that just a single series of films completely put New Zealand on the world stage. Like before Lord <laughs> of the Rings, nobody even fucking knew New Zealand existed. <laughs> where New Zealand is, Not, yeah. Let alone like that where it is. It's like New Zealand. What's that? Is that like a is that like a bank or like a icy pole brand? Like nobody knew what New Zealand was. And then they like after Lord of the Rings, like like Peter Jackson single handedly. Put New Zealand onto the world stage. It's like a tourism, honestly. Yeah,、promotion. it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's unbelievable that is that.、Yeah. But I digress. Um, I found this article about um women from the West going into believing, you know, being attracted or like engrossed in this um fantasy of the beautiful, muscular, like. Perfect、um, knight in shining armor, who also happens to be South Korean.、Um, really reductive.、Mm. I just, just, I just thought this is just another、like、reductive, essentializing、like、thing.、Um, you know, yellow fever. Yeah, exactly. Yellow fever. Just thinking that,、yeah. oh, if I go there,、um, these men will be like, you know, these men that I see on Squid Game or, you know, all those K dramas that you're talking. K dramas. Yeah.、Mm. It's a,、yeah. it's an illusion that people buy into, and.、Uh, I guess they like. I'm sure the tourism company works. The tourism industry in these countries they work with these media companies. I'm sure they、mm-hmm. do, right? Yeah, it's it's definitely kind of like an illusion, and also how the society, the the social media plays around、um, the image of mixed couples, and I think、yeah. many women will fall for it. Like、uh, the image of、uh, international. I think there's a turn in Korea, in Koreans.、Um, Gu Kit Ji, Gu Kit Ji couple.、Mm. Um, 
like its core international couple is becoming a lot more um, popular on social media. Yeah. Um, with the interracial couples sharing their lives, you know, like seen as almost like a celebrity ish. Yeah. It's a um, cult status label. Yeah, 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 it's a status symbol, I think. Yeah, and for, the YouTube and the want to. and the whole like YouTube channels that like that awful mm, man mm. who's like things my Japanese wife does on a typical oh, yeah, Sunday yeah. night, or like how this is what a <laughs> Japanese wife typically typically eats in one day. <laughs> they are repulsive. They are repulsively <laughs> reductive. <laughs> it's yeah. yeah. It's almost like a, a what, David National Geographic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, really but people love that shit. You, you're, you're right. People love cross cross Yeah, people shit. like that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, anything else that you want to add before no, we um, finish I today? No, I just want to say about concerning Helen's last article. Um, I guess you know, at the end of the day, it makes me mad because it reduces Asia, all Asian South Korean men as like mm. the same person fetishization yeah, again it fetishizes them it doesn't actually want to understand them on their own terms it mm. um, creates this illusion that's really based on false narratives um and it's real life damage like i have an asian friend a male friend who um who once went on a date with a white woman and she was mm-hmm. like she was like oh um, i only like asian men and like in my bedroom what? i have like k-pop stars and anime stars on my oh. poster like I was like, no, nah. it's just, it's awful, you know? Can you imagine if it's a guy who says that? Like, he's Ugh. totally... He's cancelled. white dude say that, yeah, he's, he's, he's like a creep. Yeah, it he's is. Like, I like a Japanese anime, you yeah. know, like big tits and baby yeah. face. I only yeah. like Japanese... You. Yeah, all those, like, white men who only date Japanese women, basically they're, like, like they only like their women, like, school child, like, like school girl, like, childlike, yeah. I reckon. The fetishization yeah. is it's, just it's, horrible. Yeah, I know. Okay, so that's the end of our episode. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating. If you would like to support us, what we do here at Asian Bitches Down Under, head to our Buy Me Coffee page to make a donation for us to continue the intersectionality in the podcast industry. So that's it from us this week, and we'll chat to you next time. Bye. Bye.